Chapter Five of A Christmas Honeymoon by Francis Amar Matthews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Where Betty went, Betty Van Sant, Betty Van Sant. Over and over again, the girl who had only been Betty Van Zant a little more than three months kept repeating her name to herself the night through. It seemed to her that she was hammering the letters out on the plate of a coffin. The ground had been swept from under her feet. The whole structure of her wooing, wedding, and short married life tumbled to pieces as she saw it passing in review before her she was not distracted or hysterical or swooning betty was not of that caliber she looked it all in the face in the eyes and made her determinations or possibly her determinations made her she argued and pleaded for him but it was of no avail the naked truth remained that he had deceived her but the violin could one be so stupid as to resent so little, little a thing? But it was the very littleness of it that stung, and to her, with her curiosity, acutely sensitized mentality and fiber, that violin was no little thing after all. It was the biggest thing just then in her world. Could she ever be, or feel, to Peter as she had before she knew? Betty was sure that she could not. Could she live on and on all her life and his, listening to the violin and remembering the tragedy of its deceit? She could not do that. What should she do? Go to Bloomingdale to Annie? Tell Annie? No, she could do neither one. Nobody could be told. If she could be buried away somewhere afar off and try to smother the shame and humiliation of it— yes that was it shame and humiliation peter whom she had looked up to and reverenced peter whom she had so joyously vowed to obey peter to have played her a subterfuge a trick and then to laugh at her and think to coax her into a reconciliation with the noise she detested and which grated on her soul as the saw might grate on raw flesh by daylight betty knew what she must do it would be done quietly and without speech words she and peter must not have at the breakfast-table she was as usual a bit grave but not more so than he could account for to himself as being relevant to a young wife's awakening to the fact that her every caprice could not be regarded with too much veneration Peter had to come out into the garden to find her for good-bye, however, when he was starting for downtown. Betty was cutting flowers, big crimson dahlias and marigolds, and sprays of asparagus, and she made the blithest figure in her flowered frock with a little cape of Shetland wool about her shoulders, all her curls blowing, her eyes over-brilliant with the wakefulness of the past night, her cheeks aflame with fever but you are the loveliest girl that ever lived he exclaimed staring at his wife hat in hand betty do you know how beautiful you are she nodded yes exactly we will go to the ogden's party tonight. don't forget don't tire yourself i want them to see you as you look now i shall be so proud of you she glanced up at him 
laughed a little and turned to her flowers that was the gist of it a beautiful woman to be vain of her lips did quiver but with superb pride she turned the quiver into mirth kiss me good-bye he asserted not out here come in the house then no good-bye peter she didn't even extend her hand is it because of the violin he laughed i expect so she was sorting her posies now betty look here dear if a man can't have the freedom of practising a bit on a favourite instrument in his own home you know it's not reasonable it doesn't sound reasonable she answered well then with considerable impatience as he pulled out his watch betty's pretty shoulders went up a trifle her head went to one side she was choosing apparently whether to put one more dahlia in her bouquet or not she did not look at peter if she had tears would have scalded her eyes brave bonny eyes with the sun shining on them will you kiss me or won't you he asked with an angry emphasis his wife shook her head and peter went down to nassau street as soon as the front door had closed betty sprang to her feet the flowers fell to the path she was indoors and the morning paper in her hand in less time than it occupies to set it down the shipping list was scanned the spain sailed the following day at six a m for Havre. passengers must be aboard the night before mrs van zant went upstairs two of her trunks the paradise trunks peter had called them still stood in her little dressing-room a few trifles still remaining there to be taken out inside of three hours she had packed them and a valise with her clothing and a few small belongings she had ordered the coupe dressed driven to the steamship office engaged passage and stateroom under her maiden name driven back to the double house ordered dinner and gone out again this time on foot into east tenth street to order a coach from the livery stable she knew was there this done mrs van zant having to pass grace church on her way halted at the gate faltered a little then went in went to the pew peter owned where she and peter had sat sundays since their return and knelt down betty couldn't pray as prayers are made in fitting words and phrases hers was a torn and wrenched heart desiring to spend itself in just one outward throb that might reach to the divine ear and not to any human one was she doing wrong this did not occur to her she was betty and betty could not go on living any sort of lie life with the man who had gotten her by fraud because you see so intricate and strange are the complexities of some natures betty would not have married peter van zant if she had known about his violin which may reveal the fact that betty was incapable of love or then again it may prove the proposition that seventeen is never capable of that emotion in its supreme entirety her sobs came fast her hands were clenched together in bitterness and loneliness her eyes behind her mechlin veil were large with tears then she heard someone speaking near her hushed women's voices 
two of them as they were busy with the altar cloths and flower vases it being friday one said i thought they were to be married to thanksgiving no not until christmas christmas is such a perfect time in itself i think the wedding should be either before or after yes so do i christmas should not be paired with anything wasn't the van zant revere wedding lovely exquisite i never saw such a perfect bride and bridegroom yes theirs is a real happiness betty's lip curled then the sobs came shaking her to her soul then she rose from her knees and went home she wrote a line only to her husband and left it in his library on top of the godie's lady's book quite near the violin case it ran this way i am going to father betty then presently the coach came and the astounded shadow beheld the driver fetch down the two trunks and the valise and put them on beheld his young mistress coming down the stairs with her reticule and long shawl on her arm just as when she had arrived from her wedding tour betty said shaddle i'm going on a journey very suddenly necessary this is for you and supple supple is out i know she has gone to dean's for the lady cake mr van zant likes thank you madam indeed madam i'm sorry you're not taking bridget with you to wait upon you thank you shaddle i shall be able to wait upon myself for a few days i am sure she got into the coach the faithful butler wistful compassionate troubled to the last his hand reluctant to let go the coach door but it had to be shut no directions were given the driver evidently knew his goal with shadow shading his eyes with his broad palm staring after her betty started away from her husband's house toward her father's when miss supple got back with the lady cake shadow told her both of them white and trembling with apprehension talked long and earnestly then saddle urged biddy darlin let's have our bands read on sunday and not be running risks any longer risks is it shad miss supple retorted i'd like to know what kind of risks there is in stoppin as we are in comparison of a young thing like that's goin off three months after her weddin and all alone nobody knows where in a hired coach tell me that shadow couldn't tell miss supple that at all bridget added time enough for our bands to be read shad when the young mistress gets back there's something in her that i love supposin she never comes back then our bands'll never be read End of chapter five